before this, they were caught in a storm on the sea. Remember when Jesus was asleep on the boat? So, so this is not the first time, but this is going to be the worst time. Because this time, Jesus isn't going to be in the boat. He's not even going to be visible to them when this whole thing goes down. But this is why they don't want to get in the boat. This is why they're afraid to go out without him. Because they're remembering this thing that happened a year and a half before. So many times our fuels are fueled, our fears that is, are fueled by past experiences. So what we're doing as we act out is we're just reacting and responding to things that have happened before. And so in life, what I'm learning is that we either make peace with the past or we will fear the future. That's why we live with dread, with panic, with nervousness, with worry, with anxiety. It's all about control. It's all about being in control. So, so here again is a little secret that could give you some insight into the person sitting next to you. Or maybe insight to yourself. And that is that controllers are scared. You loved and got hurt. You trusted and got betrayed. You risked and lost it all. You opened up and got burned. Something happened to you. Something that you couldn't control. And so you said, never again. You know, never again will I give control to someone else. Never again will I let someone else take control. I'm going to stay in control at all times. The problem is control is a myth. You can't control anything. I mean, think about it. We can't control the economy. We can't control history. We can't control traffic. We can't control the weather. We can't control another person. So what we do is we settle for this feeling of being in control instead of making the kinds of changes in our lives that that really would give us peace in place of fear. So rethinking fear, talking about being in control. Here's what we've learned in this first point, that just because I think that I'm in control doesn't mean that I am. I'm not. Now let's talk about being out of control. Verse 18, doubling back here to verses we've read but haven't talked about yet. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. Now, I am so stoked that you guys got to see that video that that Raul made. Because I don't think I've ever spoken on this passage before immediately after everyone has seen the Sea of Galilee. Remember in that video, we saw with our own eyes the Sea of Galilee right there on that screen. So this is going to make it possible for you to really picture the things I'm about to talk about. Uh, During those 18 years that I pastored Calvary Chapel in Austin, Texas, um, there was a stretch there where like every other year I was taking a group on a tour of Israel, just just like the group from your church that's on that tour right now. And seriously, my favorite part of the whole trip, there's so many highlights But my favorite part of the trip was being at the Sea of Galilee. And I loved, you know, trying to get up early before the sun, get some coffee, my Bible, go down to the shore like you saw your pastor doing in that video, and watching the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee. I mean, it is spectacular. It is so awesome, so incredible. If you guys ever get the chance to go, you should totally go. One of the few things in life that doesn't just meet your expectations, but actually exceeds it. Like, it's an amazing experience. But so it's easy for me as I'm reading this story to picture this beautiful place that I love so much. Topographically, the lake, Sea of Galilee is a lake. So this lake is surrounded by hills. And what happens is that when cold air comes over the region, 
the warm air quickly rises and the cold air quickly falls. And suddenly you have these storms on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been caught in a storm like this, not in Israel, not on the Sea of Galilee. Thankfully, all of my crossings at the Sea of Galilee have been, you know, safe and serene. But as a kid growing up, my family had left California at one point, and we lived in the Dallas area. And my dad, for one season, had access to a friend's sailboat. He bought a book and taught himself to sail. Um, Can I just go on record as saying that's probably not the best way to learn to sail? You probably should have somebody teach you how to sail, not just read a book. So, you know, we had some great experiences, but this one time, pretty early on, we're out there in the middle of Lake Ray Hubbard, and all of a sudden, I mean, this is before anybody has cell phones, so there's no alert going off telling us that there's a storm coming or anything. We're just, we're just out there, and all of a sudden, you can see it bearing down. And my dad's like, we better get in. So, you know, we start hightailing it in, and, uh, I mean, the next thing you know, it's, it's just out of control. Like the boat's just rising and falling and pitching one way and the other. The wind is blowing. We're getting pelted with water. And, and I, I didn't know anything. I didn't read the book. I didn't know anything about sailing. So I'm watching my dad, you know, try to save our lives. And, and I mean, it was pretty bad. There was a point where you're starting to wonder, like, is there a chance we're not going to make it? Like, is there a chance this thing's going to sink? Thankfully, he got us in. He must have read the chapter of what to do in a storm. <laughs> suddenly comes but he got a sim so i can picture it i can totally picture this whole thing happening in matthew and mark it tells us that that when the storm hit you know they were in the middle of the lake the weather started getting rough the tiny ship was tossed not for the courage of the fearless crew okay come on riverside now i've done this in places all across the country you've got to represent you don't want me saying man riverside just didn't just it just couldn't if not for the courage of the fearless crew all right that was legit way to go riverside give yourselves a hand so check it out it was not just the wind but but matthew tells us also that there were these big old waves so remember we talked about the tenses of fear we said that oftentimes fear of the future is based on fear from the past well well now it's fear in the present And so that fear that was irrational, before they got on the boat, it was irrational to assume that just because they'd been caught in a storm before, that they would be caught in a storm again. That was irrational. But now that it's actually happening, it's totally rational. And don't you think they were probably mad at Jesus? Wouldn't you have been mad at Jesus? It's like, we're in the surf and he's on the turf. What's up with that? You know, this is so wrong. At every level, this is wrong. And this is what fear does. It blames you know, when you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling stressed, you know, you and your spouse disagree about what direction to go. And so you go the direction they want to go. And, and, and then you wind up stuck in traffic. I told you we should. Isn't that what fear does? Like, like fear just blames. So, you know, these guys be like, Jesus, we told him we shouldn't have got in this boat and shouldn't have come out here. Well, among the things they were afraid of, I think it's legitimate to say that at this point they're experiencing the fear of death. You ever see clickbait? You know, you see like a you see like a, the, the name of an article, and you're like, I have to read that. Like, I can't not read that. So I saw this one headline. It said, woman says being declared dead ruins life. How do you not click on that? I mean, you have to know what that's about. So it was about this woman in Nashville. She said that a problem started when someone in Florida died. Someone with the same name in Florida died. 
And somehow her social security number was put in for that of the deceased person. It was totally an accident, but it had all kinds of repercussions for her. She went to refinance her house, and the mortgage company called and said, your credit report says that you're dead. Well, that would be bad news, right? Um, She went to file her taxes, and the IRS refused to process her return because she was dead. Ah, That seems like a good thing to me, but anyway, that happened. And, uh, And so then there was a point where her bank closed her credit card account, and they sent a sympathy note to her family saying, please accept our condolences on the death of Laura Todd. Can you imagine how upsetting that was when they got that? They're like calling her like, are you okay? Like, what in the world? So here's what she said about it. She said, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to be dead when you're not. (laughs) Well, that just makes sense to me. Like, I can understand that. I can relate to that. Have you guys ever seen that website, deathclock.com? You got to check it out. You, You go to this website. You answer a few questions like your age, your weight, your height. I think there's maybe one or two health-related questions, you know, things that, that might affect a person's lifespan, and, and, then it, and then it generates the date of your death. just thought I'd cheer you up with this little, this little thing that you could do today. So, of course, once I discovered this, I had to try it, right? You want to know what it said? It said that I would die in 2038. So, what's that, like 19, 19 years from now? I mean, I'd like to live a little longer than that. I'm kind of hoping for a little more than 19 more years. But at least that's not horrible. At least, at least it's not just bearing down on me. What did freak me out a little bit is that it wasn't just the date that came up, but like this little hourglass thing came up. <laughs> and there were digital numbers for how many seconds that equals. And it's counting down. I'm like, wait, give me those back. Like your life is disappearing before your eyes. Well, then I noticed that there was an operator that you can change. That was the normal forecast. You could toggle it and you could get the pessimistic forecast. So, of course, I had to see what the pessimistic forecast was. You guys want to know what that said? That said that I'm going to die July 27th, 2019. I mean, if that's right, I've got a few more months. This is like my last time here. Thank you guys so much for everything. I will keep a seat warm for you in heaven. Look forward to visiting you there. Um, Well, as if that wasn't bad enough. There was another, another choice. I could also toggle to sadistic. So I just shut the computer down. No. You know I had to go there. I had to look at it. So the sadistic forecast, I died in 2001, like 18 years ago. And this time, instead of getting the little hourglass, I got a different pop-up window that said, I'm sorry, but your time has expired. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. Like, that ship has sailed, man. There is not going to be any nice day after that. You know, for us, it's not so much that we're afraid of what happens after we die, right? As followers of Christ, we don't know as much as we'd like to know about heaven, but we know enough to, to look forward to being there. Like, like heaven is going to be a great place. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be with loved ones, you know, who, who were forgiven and who went to heaven and who were there waiting for us. Like, like that's all good. We're not afraid of what's going to happen after we die, but we're a little bit freaked out about how we're going to die. This is why we play games like, would you rather, you know, would you rather be in a sinking ship or in a plane crash, you know, things like that. And and, and you try to, you try to decide which one you'd rather do. It's why we have euphemisms for death. Why we say things like, you know, they passed, they departed, they're no longer with us. No matter how we try to soften it, 
what George Bernard Shaw famously said is still true. The stats on death are quite impressive. One out of one dies. It's just the way it is. Well, there at the end of verse 19, it says that they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Matthew and Mark tell us that they thought it was a ghost. So Scooby-Doo, right? They're just sure that this is a ghost walking across the lake. So their fear, which started out as irrational, but then once they actually were caught in a storm, was completely rational. Now it's back into the realm of irrational. For them to think that this is a ghost walking towards them on the surface of the water. Now we're going to talk more about that, but check it out. When it says in verse 16 that this episode began at evening, that would mean 6 p.m. Now, Matthew and Mark tell us that by the time Jesus walked out to them, it was the fourth watch, which would be sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So we're talking about 9 to 12 hours. We're talking about these guys having pulled an all-nighter. We're talking about these guys being in the middle of this life-or-death struggle from dusk until dawn. Now, the amazing thing is that though they couldn't see Jesus, the synoptic gospels, these cross-references, they tell us that Jesus could see them. Commentators are divided as to what that means. Does that mean that Jesus was literally seated uh, you know, on a hill where he could somehow see out into the lake and, and actually physically see them with his eyes? Maybe it means that could also mean that in some spiritual sense as God that he could see them but but either way we can certainly think in terms of his seeing them and his knowing about them and about the situation that they were in now this is kind of a funny thing you know we're grandparents we have a two-year-old granddaughter one of the fun things about you know playing with with kids of a certain age is that you know when you're feeling tired like you do in middle age you can play hide and seek without getting up I love that you know, all you need is for your grandson or your granddaughter to just cover their eyes. You know, our granddaughter's name is Ever. So she could cover her eyes. So we could say, where's Ever? And then she could uncover them. And we could say, there's Ever. And then she could cover her eyes. And we could say, where's Ever? And then she could uncover them. we say, there's Ever. You know, and they'll laugh and squeal and think it's the funnest thing. Here's the thing. See, see kids that age... They think that if we can't see us, if they can't see us, that we can't see them. We can, though, right? And sometimes we think that because we can't see God, that he can't see us. But he can. When you don't see God, he hasn't ever lost sight of you. He never will lose sight of you. So why the delay? If Jesus saw, if Jesus knew, why the delay? Well, it's to teach them about control. It's to address this confusion about the control issue. Remember in the first point we said that just because I think that I am in control doesn't mean that I am. I'm not. In the second point we learned that just because life is out of my control doesn't mean that it's out of God's control. Is life ever out of control? You better believe it. Life can be totally out of control. But whose? out of my control, not his. And so God wants to teach us about the control issue too, that, that just because your life is out of control doesn't mean that you have to be controlled by fear. I mean, think about it. When he walks out, when she walks out, when the doctor calls, when layoffs are announced, when foreclosure seems imminent, when the people uh, who would help can't, and when the people who could help won't, 
We think that just because life is out of control, that it's out of God's control. We think that because we can't handle it, he can't handle it. That God's not paying attention or that he doesn't care. And as long as we think that way, we're going to struggle with fear. So we're rethinking fear today. We've talked about being in control. We've talked about being out of control. Let's talk now about being under control. So back to verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now I asked in the introduction, what are you afraid of? I pointed out that the most common command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Over 300 times we're told in the Bible, do not be afraid. Now, you know, our daughter, Des, who's here with us, she's 12 now, super brave. She can handle anything. When she was younger, it was kind of scary to have to go to the doctor. I remember one time in particular when she was going to have to have blood drawn, and she was terrified. And as parents, haven't you learned that if we tell our kids, don't be afraid, it doesn't help. If we tell our kids, there's no reason to be afraid, it doesn't help. It does absolutely no good. When you were a kid, did it ever help you when someone told you not to be afraid, or that you shouldn't be afraid, or that there was no reason to be afraid? Did that ever comfort you on any level? No, right? But you know what I've discovered as a dad? While saying, don't be afraid, or you shouldn't be afraid, doesn't help my daughters, what does help them, what has helped them, is if I say, what if I'm there with you? That day that Des had to get the blood drawn, what if daddy doesn't leave your side? What if I hold your hand the whole time? Do you think you could do it? Yeah, I think I could. And we sat there, her little death grip on my hand, squeezing my hand, and it didn't hurt much at all. It was over in no time, and she was euphoric, right? Like when it was over, she's like, it's over? That's it? Like, it was so great. So here's the thing. While do not be afraid doesn't help us, I will be with you does. And that's the beauty of what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, it is I. I know that a lot has been made of the fact that Jesus is essentially referring to himself as I am. He's essentially saying, I am. He's taking that name for God. That's cool. Lots of commentaries talk about that. Go home, Google it, read about it. I just want to be more, more bare bones than that. I want to just be more practical than that. I just want to see it as Jesus saying, not just do not be afraid. That's great, but it is I. I am here. I am present. I am with you. That makes the difference. The promise is not that uh, he will protect us from storms, meaning that we'll never find ourselves in one. His promise is that he'll be present with us in them. Now keep your finger in John 6 and let's turn back to Matthew 14. We want to very quickly capture an important part of the story that John doesn't record. Then we'll come and finish in John 6. But Matthew chapter 14, you saved that place before. So as you're turning quickly to it, I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. Peter answered Jesus and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, that's, that's the Alan Rigg translation. It's unpublished as of now, but that's my translation. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Again, just sort of like parenthetically, how do you read that verse says so much about you? Says so much about your relationship with God. 
I think as a younger person and as a younger Christian, I would have read it like this. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Like disgust, like disappointment. I don't read it that way now. Now I read it this way, like I did a moment ago. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Just warm, just reassuring, just comforting. How we read a verse like that says so much about where we're at in our relationship with God. Now, the thing about Peter is, you know, we know from reading the Gospels that Peter and the other disciples had this this adversarial relationship, this competitive relationship. They're always trying to one-up each other. And, uh, and they're arguing about who's the greatest. And they're jockeying for position. You know, who's going to sit in his right hand and on his left when he sets up his kingdom and all of that. So there's this whole competitive vibe going on. And you know that these guys were never going to let Peter hear the end of this. Yeah, remember that time you sank? Like any time Peter would try to, you know, you, you put his authority out there. Like, hey, I'm in charge here. Oh, yeah. Lord, save me. Making fun of him. You know it would have come up over and over and over again, them mocking him and making fun of him. But you know something? Something that's easy to forget? Before Peter sank, he walked. You don't see anybody else getting out of that boat. Peter was the only one who had the courage to step out of that boat, walk across that stormy sea to Jesus. And right up until he didn't, he did it. (laughs) He did it right up until he didn't. You know, maybe you can relate to this. I can certainly relate to this. For those of you who've been here, when we've been here before, you've heard Miranda share about her story. You've heard me share about my story. And you guys know that we both went through, 10 years ago, we both went through very public and very painful divorces. And, And I've talked on many occasions about my struggles after that. I struggled so much after that. After losing my marriage and my ministry and all of my material things, I was not dealing well with grief at all. And for me, it was so much easier to just post up at the sports bar and numb myself than it was to feel the pain of everything that I'd lost. I made a lot of bad decisions. have a lot of regrets from that season of my life. Would love to have a do-over on that season of my life. You know, there was a time when I I felt only like someone who sank. A time where I felt only like someone who was wet and finished. And then God used people in my life. People like my daughter, Lauren, my adult daughter, Lauren. People like my now wife, Miranda, to remind me that before I sank, I walked. And with God's help, I could walk again. I hope that you have people in your life that remind you that before you sank, you walked. That believe in you and that tell you that that with God's help, you can walk again. Maybe you feel this morning like I did. Maybe you just feel wet, just drenched, just soaked, just done. You can walk again. With God's help, you can get back in your feet and you can see your life put back together for your good and for God's glory. Now think about this situation. Turn back to John chapter 6. Think about this whole thing. There's a fine line between being out of control and being under control. To the disciples in the boat, it looked like everything was 
out of control. To Jesus walking across the sea, everything was under control. For Peter, it went back and forth. Like, out of control, under control. Out of control, like he's, he's in this in-between place, right? But again, there's this very fine line between the two. So what I'm getting at is that for you and for me, it's the same. This fine line between out of control and under control, well, listen, we're going to feel fear. I'm not telling you that after this Bible study, you're going to walk through these doors, uh, you know, right out into the parking lot and you're going to drive home and you're never going to feel fear again. I can promise you that you will feel fear Sometime this week you may be afraid. Sometime before this day is over you may be afraid. But what I'm telling you is that you don't have to be controlled by it. That your thoughts don't have to continually be fueled by fear. That your future plans don't have to continually be formed in fear. That your life doesn't have to be controlled by fear. We can think about fear as a form of focus. And if that's true, if fear is a form of focus, then maybe this gives us a new way to think about the fear of the Lord. You know how we talk about the fear of the Lord and how it doesn't mean to be afraid of Him, but it does mean to have like awe for Him. But if we're thinking about fear as a form of focus, then, then perhaps the command to fear the Lord is a command to change our focus. From focusing on the wrong things to focusing on the right things. From focusing on the things that make us feel afraid to focusing on the things that give us peace. You know, you've heard that expression, fight fire with fire. In this case, we're fighting fear with fear. We're replacing the wrong kind of fear with the right kind of fear. And ultimately running not from the thing that we're afraid of, but to Jesus. So many of us are thinking like this. If only I had a bigger boat. You know, we're in the storm, right? We're in the storm. If I just had a better boat, if I had a, if I had a stronger sail, if I had more oars, if I had an outboard motor. As long as you're thinking that way about your situation, you're still trying to be in control. Instead of coming to that point where you can say, where I can say, I don't have control. I will never have control, but he will always have control. And Jesus, he steps into the boat. Can you picture him standing knee-deep in water, splintered oars on his right and on his left, a tattered sail overhead? And Mark tell, Matthew tells us that Jesus said, why did you doubt? Well, because I was trusting me. Because I need to learn to transfer my trust to you. Storms happen. It's not a matter of if, but when. But in the middle of their storm and in the middle of yours, Jesus prays for us. He sees us. He comes to us. Let me ask you a question. Have you, ever, have you ever prayed a prayer asking for more of God? I mean, if you've been a follower of Christ for long, surely you've prayed a prayer like this before. Surely you've prayed like, God, I want more of you in my life. Have you prayed a prayer like that? But if we said everything that we're thinking, if we said everything that we're feeling, it might sound more like this. Like, like God, I pray for more of you in my life. I want more of you. Just, just, don't, just don't make waves. Just don't make any waves in my life. But what if... What if the waves are the very thing that bring Jesus to us? What if, as in this story, the waves in your life are actually the answer to your prayer? You have prayed and asked for more of God in your life. And the wave that is coming, the tsunami perhaps, 
this wall of water that is bearing down on you? What if it is the answer to your prayer? What if Jesus is coming to you on that wall of water? Could you think differently about your storm? Could you even be able to thank God for the storm that that brought more of Him to you and into your life? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Miranda's going to come back up so we can do one last worship song together. Father, thank you for just all of the encouragement that's in this story for us. And I pray for people here who perhaps have been dealing with fear in their lives. I think we all do, different times to different degrees. But but some people may be crippled by fear right now. And Lord, how I pray for them. How I pray that you would comfort them. How I pray that you would give them peace. I pray, Lord, that we could all take some part of this message and, and apply it to our lives. And, and, Lord, that we could come to that place where, although we certainly don't want storms, nobody wants storms, but, Lord, we do want you. We want more of you. And we do welcome those things that bring more of you to our lives. So help us to trust you. Help us to lean hard into you. Help us to be fully satisfied with with your presence, with your nearness, to trust that in your perfect timing, Lord, you're going to release that power. You're going to bring us to the shore safely, just like ultimately happens with the disciples in this story. Lord, we lift our fears up to you. We surrender them to you. We choose as an act of faith to turn our focus from the storm and to put it on you even as we sing this song, even as we celebrate your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.